0: It's the best hostesses ever, Yay! Anne-Marie,
1: and Grace Gasperi.
0: This is the first episode that we've done this season with two hosts, and we're gonna slay. Slay every day! And so the first segment that we have is the Swifties with Laura.
2: Hello, my name is Laura, and I'm here with Izzy, who is a co-founder of the Lee Taylor Swift Club.
0: What made you decide to found the Taylor Swift Club?
2: Macy and Miranda and I all love Taylor Swift, and we thought that it would be a really fun idea to start a club for people who also like Taylor Swift.
0: What first steps did you take in order to found the club?
2: We had to make sure that it had a sponsor so that somebody could be there to like monitor what we're doing and... We made sure it got approved, and that we had good ideas and plans.
0: Did you have any difficulties or struggle um, during the planning?
2: Um, there are a lot of club dates, so we had to come up with a lot of like fun activities to do during the meetings, which is kind of hard, but it was really fun to plan it.
0: What were the reactions of friends
2: and teachers and
0: classmates when you told them about your idea?
2: Uh, a lot of them were kind of negative Especially teachers, because they thought it was just like a joke, I think. But um, a lot of students really liked the idea and immediately joined the group me. So that was good.
0: Um, where did you expect how the first club meeting would go and how did it go?
2: We thought it was going to be kind of awkward, but it was actually really fun. And it was a really good group of people and they all like participated really well. What is your favorite thing about your club? My favorite thing about the club is all the people in it. And even though like, some people don't even really, they're not like huge fans of Taylor Swift, but they still want to be there and like, make friends. I think that's really cool. Is there anything you would like to change? Um, I want more people in the club, but I don't know how to like, keep recruiting people. Can people still join the club? Yes. So
0: describe what your club meetings look like. Like, what are you doing?
2: So we do a song of the day every day, and we like to have someone in the club pick it when we have on the days that we have meetings. So we have someone pick. We usually draw their name out of, like, a bucket. And then each club is different because we have, like, different activities based on... Um, different Taylor Swift things. On Taylor Swift's birthday we had a birthday party for her and we made our list of top 20 songs as a group and that took a lot of time that we didn't think it was going to take but it was fun.
0: What was your favorite club meeting so far?
2: Um, So far my favorite club meeting is the first one because we did a big trivia as a group about Taylor Swift and it was really funny because they were very specific questions that I feel like nobody should even know about themselves, like what time she was born (laughs) and obviously no one's going to know that but I thought that was really fun.
0: So obviously you like Taylor Swift, what do you like most
2: about her music? Um, I like that I, whatever mood I'm in, I can listen to one of her songs and it'll be totally accurate to how I'm feeling and she has like every single genre ever, so like you really can't get bored of it.
0: What do you like most about her?
2: I love how she is such a big inspiration to so many people. Since
0: when have you been listening to her music?
2: Oh my gosh, I've been listening to Taylor Swift since I was probably in like third grade and I remember when 1989 came out, I had that on repeat in fourth grade. What's your favorite song and what's your favorite album? My favorite song is Dorothea and my favorite album is Lover. Do you have any tips for people who would like to found their own club? i think make sure you are planning ahead and make sure you know everything you're gonna do because it's so much easier to start a club when you have goals for it and when it's there it's easy to achieve them is there anything else you would like to tell us go follow lead taylor swift club on instagram thank you
1: so much for that Taylor Swift information. I have never been a real big Taylor Swift fan, but for one of your fun activities that you're trying to find for these club dates, I think it'd be cool if you made Taylor Swift dolls, like the paper mache ones that are all holding hands, and we could decorate the classrooms with them. And... That (laughs) would be
0: amazing to walk into school and just see Taylor Swift hanging up all over
2: the walls.
1: And you could have ones that are, like, her ex-boyfriends with X's on their faces.
0: (laughs) And for our next segment, it's Netflix rant with Abraham.
3: My name's Abraham and I'm going to be talking about Netflix and the problems. I will call this the Netflix rant. Uh, I have a few problems with Netflix and the way they have been choosing to display their platform to viewers and just anybody in general and what their decisions are to their platform and the problems that I have with that. Netflix prices increases but the quality of their work is poor or average. They put out all these shows and they're just like meh and you, you barely, they barely get any views. They're not really there. It's just whatever. And you could, I could watch a show and I would just be like, okay, cool. And then it's just totally just not good at all. Maybe I'll probably get two or three episodes and say, this is bad. And I'm pretty sure most other people would feel that way. And then they just dropped the show and then boom, they money was just wasted. And they put so much money into a show. And it's just this is just it comes out bad, so they need they need to understand how to make good shows. Cause there are other shows, there are actually other um, platforms out there, other streaming services out there. Disney Plus, HBO, Hulu, you know, etc. You know all these streaming services, and they they put up really good shows. They get them, they get them made, or maybe they already had the show made, and then they distribute it into their streaming services. And it's, like, actually good. They they spend more time on how good the show is rather than just coming up with multiple shows and just getting their money out of that and saying, okay, whatever, let's go for next year and get more shows. Because they think that shows just, oh, we have over, like, 5,000, 1,500,000 shows and thing No, probably, like, 5% of that is actually good shows. I'm not saying that's what it is for Netflix, but I feel like that's how they're thinking And two, it's just that they, like I said, they choose quality over quantity, which uh, all the other streaming services beat them in that. Disney Plus is kind of different. They already had their own shows made. They weren't in a streaming service business. They were more or less of in the cable uh, business. So they just put out movies, you know, in theaters and also just had... Movie um, TV shows during on cable services, I believe that's how they got their money. Also, got their money from other things like Disneyland from their shows, which all this is like cash flow, which allows them to have so much money and to just be able to spend time on maybe this show and say, Okay, this show, let's focus on this show, let's get good directors, good writers, good actors, uh, and like let's make everything good. They they focus more on that. They also had, like I said, they already had a plethora of shows already so they just all they put it in there and honestly that's why i think that disney plus is one of the best positions and it was also one of the best decisions to make to switch into a, a streaming service while still keeping their other businesses though they're still making quite a lot of money so the same thing with hbo they have Warner brothers which is also a pretty popular and also just like A rich company that is able to supply with good shows. HBO is also really good. I've heard a lot of great things about HBO. So another thing about Netflix is that they cancel shows that are too good. Like they have not just too good or just good. They actually make a good show, and then they just cancel it for most of the time no reason. I I believe that there might not be enough views or something, or they needs to like get a really good amount of views for it to. Be popular, like so. Like, there's some hidden shows out there that no one really knows about that much, but and they're like actually good. And if they just get it out there, it will be popular. And then the shows that they spend so much money on, they also spend so much money on the marketing, and it just all crashes and flops. So, they need to understand what shows are good. I, I believe I've heard that they pay people to watch shows and rate them. and. And to tell them how good it is, so I don't know what that's what's going on, in, in that uh, direction. But they need to work on it. Most of the good shows that they do have on their platform, they don't fully have. They just have, like, 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 like what I'm saying. Like, so before Disney even had their own like streaming services, most of the shows Netflix would have the rights to, to stream it on their platform. And then when Disney Plus became a thing, they're like, okay, let me take all these stuff that are mine. That i made and put it on my show so that only you can only get it on my show therefore those who like disney or those who like marvel or those who like anything that's related to disney they just have to buy you know subscription for disney plus and it'll be a whole lot better experience because they like disney and they're bringing in a lot of um fans to their platform to watch which they're getting more money and netflix isn't at, as much or at all anymore um they also don't, like I said, that Disney has a lot of uh, money coming from everywhere other than just the streaming services. They don't have a lot of, like, backup money. Netflix is just Netflix, and they might have some, you know, they might do stocks. I don't know. I don't know what they do, but their main uh, earn like, income is the streaming services. So, it's really, they don't have much to work with all the time, as of right now, I believe. Netflix is still kind of the king of streaming services, but it's gonna, eventually in the next few years, it's gonna it's gonna get crushed, or not gonna be as good anymore. Another thing is that the prices too as well, for I believe around $10 or so, it could've increased. You basically have just everything on Netflix, but n- like no HD at all. So you're there stuck with really bad qual- uh, quality, and it just sucks. They canceled shows like The Office, uh, Roger Rats, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated Friends, Sherlock, Lego Friends, Spider-Man movies, like a bunch of Spider-Man movies, well, I, and obviously because I believe some of them are owned by Disney, I think some of them, uh, Madagascar and Dark Crystal, all these are all good shows, and then they're also shows that they just don't like take so long, I understand the shows take long to create, but then you just like you wait for them and they're not good anymore. Two another thing is that another thing is that they're also cracking down on password sharing. A big, big thing about like Netflix was the password sharing, and I think it's gonna hurt them rather than save them, which is not like good at all. I think that they should not really do too much about this password sharing because uh, if I am the one who's paying for the Netflix account and the whole entire family, and I find out that my maybe family can't even use my account anymore to. To watch shows, I, I'm I, I'm not too interested in Netflix. Let's say I'm just not too interested. I'm just doing it for my family so that they all can watch when they have nothing to do. I'm not gonna pay any more. The price is already increasing. I, I I was about to quit already. Now now that they're gonna crack on uh, password share, I'm just not gonna get it all. And only a few people will probably still get it, and eventually they will also turn down because of one, the prices keep 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 on increasing. You when you have two of these things are happening plus the quality of Netflix these all just don't give a positive vibe and just say I can do without it I mean like if you look at Disney and see what they have it's just crazy if you look at Apple TV and you see what they have it's also good like you have all these other streaming services and they have actual good shows and they have Netflix and most people just have Netflix because it's just a standard but soon enough it's not going to be a standard it's just going to be yeah Netflix who cares whatever get it over it I think that this is these are all the problems that uh, Netflix have. Uh, this is all also what I've thought about uh, what Netflix, all the problems that Netflix have. This is my rant, the Netflix rant. Um, my name is Abraham, and uh, thank you for listening. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much, Abraham, for that amazing segment, and I completely agree that Netflix needs to focus on making better shows that they put more money in than just getting shows out there, because the more thought you put into a show, the more people will watch it, and then you spend more money to make more money, Mm
1: -hmm. and I Mm -hmm. wish
0: corporations understood that.
1: Yeah, I remember when Netflix was, like, the red boxes in the Price Choppers, oh and you you would be like, Please, Mom, please, can I get Shrek 2? Please! Please, can we rent out this show? Please! They need to go back to that.
0: Yeah, because that was when people actually wanted to watch what they had. Yeah. So, yeah, they need to put more thought into their shows, make them better, and then will be rich stop making originals stop making stop. Netflix oh original. yeah just stop making originals that would work too <laughs> <laughs> okay
1: okay and now we have Nate with how to deal with anxiety and I'm I'm really interested in finding out how I can deal with it without medication <laughs>
0: <laughs> honestly same so Nate you're a
4: okay so with today's audio we got miss mullen very nice C- CT teacher at lead also mentor very nice um how do you deal with anxiety as an educator slash mentor
5: I think that I could actually apply this answer to all areas of life because the anxiety definitely affects everything. We all feel nervous and anxious at some points. And it's through being an educator that I've really gained an understanding of what anxiety is and then how to better manage it. So one of the things that helps me um, is something called a visualization technique where I can visualize the trigger for the anxiety or stress. And I can play what I like to call a mind movie. And then I can see, you know, all of the potentials, things that might happen, things that could happen. But that early preview of those possibilities helps me to put them into perspective. That even if I'm up giving a presentation to a group of students and, Vivi goes out and I no longer have my presentation. What's going to happen? I can make plans for those things, but then I can also have the perspective that if that were to happen, it wouldn't be the end of the world.
4: Very, very solid responses. response right there. What made you want to be a teacher?
5: I wanted to be a teacher because I loved school. And I love learning, and I also had a lot of peers and friends that didn't like school and like learning as much, so I wanted to impart that love of learning um, onto other people that perhaps learning was not their favorite task or perhaps something that was really challenging to them.
4: Did you know there was going to be, like, all this anxiety when like having to deal with it when you've like first started?
5: I don't think I realize the scope of it because it's always something new in the school day for teachers and for, for the kids. We don't know what to expect, even though we have a schedule and a routine, but we're a group of humans in a room together. So you almost have to expect the unexpected and then make dozens and dozens of decisions a day on how you're going to
4: manage those. Hmm. That, that's pretty solid. Like what grade do you like out of the school grade like K through K through twelve, I believe, depending on where you are. Um what grade do you think has the most anxiety?
5: Oh wow, that's a great question. Um I think there is a level of anxiety at every grade level. But we have to just frame it within kind of within two different frames. Number one, um, the type of stressors and the type of triggers that we find at each level. Um, high school, obviously, there's a lot of pressure to perform because this is your your last step. You know, this is your last setting before you're in the adult world. So you have grades and, um, you know, Testing, formalized testing, things like ACT, um, potential to affect the your post-secondary education or even your post-secondary career. So that's huge. But the other piece is that we have to look at the developmental level of the group of young people that we work with and see what kind of coping skills um We would hope, you know, by high school that, you know, 16-year-olds are going to have a different set of skills than maybe a five-year-old. However, there's still different skills. I wouldn't talk about necessarily a visualization technique within the same context um, that I would discuss with a high schooler as I would with a third grader. So we have to grow the skills and meet the kids where they are developmentally. That's
4: pretty solid. Like, Anxiety as a whole, you think it's a good thing or a bad thing?
5: That's a great question. And I don't know um, if I could put it in either of those categories. Generally speaking, though, um, anxiety and stress and worry are natural. And they're something that have you know, occurred in humans, potentially, you know, since the beginning of time. And we could discuss how in the dawn of time, those things were actually survival skills, and perhaps even survival skills now to some end. I think the important part is um, recognizing them as certainties, rather than something that's good or bad. So we're certain that they're going to occur, which will allow us then to better manage them for the better, hopefully.
4: That's Pretty solid, actually. Do you have any like favorite quotes that you have that you want to end us with?
5: I don't know if I have a quote that I can attribute to anyone else, but I something that I tell myself kind of a daily mantra and something that I tell, you know, my students and my mentees that tomorrow is a new day. So we are always growing, whether you're 16 or you're 92. We always have something to learn and grow from. So it's okay to have a day that may not be the best day. And it's okay to have struggles. Our hope is that we can learn from them and then grow from them.
4: Right. That's pretty solid. And that's where we're going to end off for today's episode of the anxiety attacks. Of 2023. Ooh. Um,
0: okay. What a very educational segment. Thank you, Miss uh, Mullen. Yes, Miss Mullen. Thank you, Miss Mullen, so much for that information. And I'm sure it will be helpful to all students and mentors. Uh, for our final segment of the day, we have a segment ba- made by your favoriteest hostess, <laughs> Grace Gaspari. Yay! She is up next with touch of the tism.
1: Hello everyone, my name is Grace Kasperi and you are listening to Touch of the Tism. Today I wanted to talk about a more analytical and scientific topic, Asperger's Syndrome. So Asperger's Syndrome is characterized by intense, narrow interest, challenges in social communication and interaction, and in people with average or above average IQ, specifically people with no history of language delays like delays in talking. However, now it is part of the umbrella term of autism in the DSM-5, also known as the most recent edition of the diagnostic criteria. And it is called a level one diagnosis, and there are three levels ranging in severity. And I want to delve into why this change was even made. So a little bit of a rundown on the history of Asperger's. It was created and identified by Hans Asperger. Yeah, what a narcissist for naming an entire disorder after himself. But he was a scientist in the 1930s through the 1980s, and he had a very questionable past. He managed to accommodate himself within the Nazi regime, and he was rewarded for his loyalty and waited for career opportunities to happen. He joined several organizations that were affiliated with the Nazi party, but I want to specify that he never specifically aligned himself with the Nazi party itself. He also publicly legitimized race hygiene politics. So, like, the entire Holocaust forced sterilization of other races of people, and he even sterilized on occasion a bunch of children because they were identified to be either of a race that was not I put this in scare quotes, preferable, or were mentally or physically disabled, and this gets into eugenics, which is rampant at this time. But the doctor's questionable past wasn't the reason that the diagnostic criteria changed. So the DSM or the diagnostic criteria is considered to be a living document, meaning that it changes as we learn more about various mental health issues. Research indicated uh, a while ago that there was little consistency between the way Asperger's applied to each individual diagnosis, and also there was a lack of clarity on the part of school systems and insurance companies about what asperger's was some students with this disorder found it difficult to obtain services like education plans because of just the label that they were given so it was decided that Putting a single label, ASD or Autism Spectrum Disorder, to all students would make it easier and give resources to the people that needed it. So previously, the DSM-5 required impairments in three domains of functioning to receive a diagnosis of autism. That was social impairment language and communication impairment, and repetitive or restrictive behaviors. And if you think back to my other podcasts, that could be the stemming that I talked about, like flapping the hands or tapping the feet, or restrictive behaviors like isolation or even becoming completely mute at times of overstimulation. Currently, the DSM-5 requires only two impairments in domains of functioning to receive a diagnosis of autism, and that is social communication impairment and restricted interests or repetitive behaviors. I was diagnosed with what was previously considered Asperger's syndrome, and so I went to CDT therapy or cognitive dialectic therapy that was specifically given to me with a therapist that also had Asperger's syndrome and I found that extremely uncomfortable. I did not like my therapist at all and she would refer to us as Aspies and I don't really like that, not only because I understand the reasons behind not specifying Asperger's syndrome as anything other than just part of the autism spectrum, but also because it gives a level of supremacy to other forms of autism. And what I mean is, if you look at what I've previously stated as the diagnostic criteria for Asperger's syndrome, it's extremely positive. It's like that socially awkward genius. So when you lump that with autism because of the similarities and then continuously say Asperger's is different, or we are different because we don't struggle as much, then there's this immediate hierarchy in the diagnostic criteria that shouldn't be there. We all don't fit in this society, and rather than putting labels just to define us as we struggle less with all of these things, and so we are better, we are okay, we are able to mask in this society, that takes away from building a community. And that's what we need as people that feel like they've never belonged anywhere and they've never been able to be understood or understand others. We need a community. We need a safe space. Even if you're a self-diagnosed introvert. You still need people. We are social animals. I guess that's just my own prerogative. Thank you guys for listening. My name is Grace Gaspari, and this was Touch of the Tism. wow
0: she was so good i loved everything about that yeah that segment like wow (laughs) that was so informational and like oh my god (laughs) she's probably like really pretty too i bet she has the best fashion sense (laughs) like transition yeah This has been an amazing episode, and I am so happy that I was able to host with you today, Grace.
1: Oh my gosh, I love you
0: so much. Oh my gosh. We no, should I host love you. again. We totally should. Um This has been the lead cast with Anne Marie and Grace. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.